Content warning. In this episode, we'll be discussing American slavery and race-based violence. Two thousand three hundred and fifty miles of water from Lake Itasca to the Gulf of Mexico. The Mississippi River traverses the United States from north to south. A route of migration, trade, exploitation, and cultural exchange. It connects vast forests with industrial centers the resounding history of the slave trade with the realities and rhythms of the present. In this podcast, Swamp Dog, Donald Harrison, Layla McCalla, and Logan Schutz explain how all of this merges in the music on the banks of the river. Basser Music, Mississippi, Part 2. Stories from the Mud. the city that was built on this river was a melting pot where many cultures met. But one of the special things about New Orleans was they had a place called Congo Square where people of uh, African descent could participate in their culture openly. As far as I understand, it was the only place in America that you could do that because African culture was banned everywhere else. Donald Harrison is the recognized big chief of Congo Square in New Orleans. As a musician, he created a modern jazz take on the second line tradition and introduced it to the jazz world in culture uh, led to what we have in New Orleans called uh, second line tradition and the formation of New Orleans style jazz and the formation of a lot of different types of music that come from New Orleans that somehow caught the uh, eyes of the world and created a, a new phenomenon that influenced the whole history of the music of the whole 
planet. <laughs> Congo Square on Sunday afternoons, African descendants spoke and sang in their native languages, practiced their religious beliefs, danced according to their traditions, and played African-derived rhythmic patterns on instruments modeled after African prototypes. The parallel performance styles and practices witnessed in those locations demonstrate New Orleans' previous relationship with Caribbean countries and Congo Square's influence on the perpetuation of African cultural traditions in North America. Freddie Williams Evans. And for so many people, New Orleans is like a very spiritual place that kind of calls to certain people. It's almost like the city, it's almost like this land like really wants you to be here for some reason and you're you have to figure out why. Layla McCullough was born in New York City to parents that were active in the human rights struggles in Haiti. As a teenager, she relocated to Ghana and later returned to the United States to play cello on the streets of the French Quarter in New Orleans. You know, when I was uh, growing up under uh, Duvalier, during the Duvalier years of the dictatorship in Haiti, um, to me, uh, it was uh, a period of silence and of fear. I was uh, 17, uh, my uh, family, my uncle, my, my aunt, and four of my cousins were arrested and they were killed. Uh, they were taken to Fort Dimanche, the infamous uh, prison under the Duvalier regime, and they were killed. And you know, I've known lots of people who have tried to leave New Orleans and just said, eh doesn't make sense for me to be anywhere else. And so that's kind of how I feel sometimes about my relationship with New Orleans. I think I'm uniquely positioned to engage with some of the history and, you know, it's definitely a place that has brought me closer to understanding my Haitian heritage and to incorporating that into my artistic practice. And that has been super meaningful, deeply fulfilling work. I feel like in some ways I can take that, you know, New Orleans has been a gift to me because I can take the knowledge that I have from living here and live in other places, but I don't want to. <laughs> and that's, that's the pull, I guess, of living here. You know, it's not a perfect place. It's a very complicated place. And, you know, especially in 2022, when we're grappling with rampant injustice and having to undo the thread of how all of these inequalities and iniquities have flourished in this place. I still feel drawn to the city. I still feel like it's home and it still feels like a really meaningful place for me to be. 
I would say, out of the strongest music cities in the United States, New Orleans is probably the smallest one by population, but probably the most powerful one when it comes to heritage and history of the music itself. Bringing like what I first brought a Brazilian influence in and now bringing a Nigerian influence in, I think people really appreciate that and they can hear the blending of the sounds and they love dancing and people are very open-minded about music here. Logan Schutz founded the 15-piece Afrobeat band Kumasi out of his love for the legacy of Fela Kuti and Tony Allen. Since 2014, Kumasi has been the premier Afrobeat band in New Orleans. I think that New Orleans, more than any other American city, is very open to forms of dance music. You know, in a lot of the United States, they have great live music, but you'll go and even if the music sounds danceable, people are sitting and watching and that's their way of enjoying themselves. But here in New Orleans, when you go out and see live music, people are dancing, whether it's brass bands in the street or jazz bands in the club or funk bands in the club, people are dancing. And so that's why I thought that not only would a Brazilian street parade band, but also an Afrobeat stage band would fit New Orleans very well. Because even though these are not styles of music that are native to New Orleans, these are not style of music that necessarily everyone in New Orleans is familiar with. But it goes over really well because it's dance music, it has a lot of energy, and people come to the show and they love dancing. by the river of ruin. They dally, the thoughtless ones. They dance and they dream by the side of the stream as long as the river runs. Paul Lawrence Dunbar. In New Orleans, there's a big thing with second line music and that it's a dance music first. That's why I learned to dance to all types of music because when you learn to dance to music, it gives you a different idea of how it should sound. If you don't dance to it, you don't have that uh, influence in your sound. So it feels different. Well, New Orleans is a traditional city, and I always say that it's the only city in the world that has a jazz culture because everyone knows all our traditional jazz songs, from the richest to the poorest. It goes across all social and economic lines, and it connects us as one entity. Fortunately, the concept of being connected through culture has taken hold around the world and people come to see it and be a part of it. So what started out as New Orleans culture became really a global culture. Even to this day, it influences how people look at music and culture. 
between the Native American expulsion, known as the Trail of Tears, and the Great Depression of the 1930s, the Yazoo Mississippi Delta was carved out of an impenetrable complex of swamps and hardwood forests. Prior to colonization, the lower Mississippi Valley was imagined by Easterners as a future empire that would eventually rival the Nile Valley civilizations. Consequently, allusions to those ancient empires are still scattered throughout the valley. Cairo, Illinois, Luxora, Arkansas, Memphis, Tennessee, Alexandria, Louisiana. For African Americans, the Delta came to represent a slavery within slavery, an oppression of biblical proportions. Clyde Woods. I heard a lot of songs. Naturally, I was curious, but then as I grew and I discovered that my race was despised and just weren't even recognized as people, kind of pulled me away from Mississippi as far as thinking about it. If I ever can get up off of this old hot killing flow, Lord, I'll never get out this low no more. Mm-hmm. Swamp Dog began his singing career as Little Jerry Williams in the 1950s. He later went on to become a record producer, label owner, and songwriter with around 2,000 titles credited to his name. In 1955, Jerry Williams was 13 years old. That same year, Emmett Till, a 14-year-old black teenager from Chicago, went to visit relatives in a small town in the Mississippi Delta. There, Emmett Till was mutilated and murdered for allegedly flirting with a white woman. On March 7, 2022, the U.S. Senate passed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, making lynching a federal hate crime. Blacks were being slaughtered and denied and just hurt for no reason. Mississippi was meant bad things where I was concerned. And I loved the food. I loved the accommodations that Black people have down there. Now, it's a better place. It's a much better place. I dream Racism is running rampant throughout the United States. I mean, people are being killed by the dozens, which I'm quite sure you've read about and seen on your television. But still, we look at it as being a better 
Mississippi now than it was, but I wouldn't recommend anybody take a vacation in Mississippi unless they've got real roots in Mississippi other than being black. As the rhythms of Central and West Africa became the blues of the Mississippi Delta, black folks found new ways to make the backbeat do what it had always done. That is, stretch and subvert the status quo. B. Brian Foster. You know, when you talk about heritage, there's two aspects of that. There's preservation and there's innovation. And I think those two are very important and have to exist with each other, whether you're talking about New Orleans or Africa or Brazil or Cuba or anywhere in the world. It's a living tradition. We don't want to get stuck in the past. And so any band that's playing, even bands that are really trying to stick to traditional jazz here at clubs in New Orleans, have their own sounds, their own innovation, their own way of bringing their own composition to the sound. And people recognize that and people appreciate that. We cleared out the whole house. No one had been back since the storm. Almost a year later, a posse of do-gooders who needed volunteer hours for their terms of service, myself included, and we were the first to go in and clear the rubble. A few So the song Slew City, the music was composed by our bassist John Solomon. And the title of that song, Slew City, refers to the fact that here in New Orleans, we are living with and sometimes inside of the water. It's a swamp, and when the storms come, when the heavy rains come, we are often underwater. And that's what the title of the song comes from. Of floodwaters, there were sofas, books, pictures, photo albums, collectible spoons, serving bowls, calendars, the endless reams of non essential paperwork, the tchotchkes, the votives, the homilies, the pipes and purses, the simple art that makes a blank wall a part of a home, shoes, papers, class rings, clothing, wardrobes, furniture, toothbrushes, photographs, diplomas, curlers, and irons medals from wars, jewelry, toys, cribs, carved chessmen, ashtrays, the good china. So what you hear on the final version of Slew City was written by our friend Oliver and actually spoken by our friend Oliver, specifically about cleaning up after Hurricane Katrina. And as a musician and as a lover of music, it's a true story about his experiences cleaning up after Katrina. And I think that his reaction to seeing this amazing record collection that just became trash was a very strong one and very visceral one. 
and that's what he was writing about. Buddy Bolden, and then there were the LPs, Scott Joplin, Earl Hines, Count Basie, Oscar Peterson, Bix Beiderbeck, and then there's Bird, Monk, Dizzy, Bud Powell, Louis Prima, Max Roach, Mingus, Train, Miles, all the way to Herbie, Ron Carter, Smokey Johnson, James Black, Sam Rivers, Sonny Rollins, Wayne Shorter, Sun Ra, Rashid Ali, Billy Cobham, Buddy Miles, Stan and about a year ago, Oliver Burke actually passed. And so this song was composed um, something like five years ago. One year ago, we lost Oliver. He left behind uh, a family, two young kids, and his partner and his parents. And actually, the most recent performance that Kumasi played, we played that song and John Solomon stepped up to the microphone and recited that spoken word that Oliver had composed. Oliver's family was there. That was a very emotional moment for us. But that's the story about that song. He lives in the fields, he lives in the valley. He lives in the fields, he lives in the valley. His body was made to be in the soil. Our bodies were made to be in the soil. So the Artibonite River is a river in Haiti that goes through the Artibonite Valley. And, you know, my album was largely inspired by the story of Radio Haiti, who was owned by a man named Jean-Dominique. He was an agronomist who kind of became a journalist because he saw how many stories weren't being told through the media that needed to be told. And that was kind of his way of subverting some of the political power structures, some of these oppressive power structures. And because of his training as an agronomist, he had a, a huge commitment to farmers in the Artibonite region in Haiti, which accounts for most of Haiti's exports. And very tragically, he was assassinated in the year 2000. And his ashes were put into the Artibonite River in a ceremonial. Some of the farmers that he had allied with and was close with and his wife. And so I was thinking about that and how, you know, at the end of the day, this matter that makes up our bodies is kind of meant to be with nature, you know? That is our true kind of calling in life, regardless of what you make out of your life, that's where we're headed. And there's something beautiful about that because that's also how we survive from what grows from the soil and just even thinking about the trees that we need to be able to breathe, all this air that we have on our planet doesn't come from nothing. We are actually, you know, maybe this sounds really hippie-ish, but we're like meant to go back to the earth to nourish the future. There's something really beautiful about that cycle and also obviously devastating because none of us want to die. <laughs> Most of us, you know, don't want to think about that part of our humanity.
New Orleans has for over 300 years, well, I guess for quite a bit more than that, actually, has been a place of rebuilding. And of combining, mixing, and celebrating, really. I mean, tragedy after tragedy in the history of this city, and still celebration is such an important core part of our culture here. On any Sunday, you can go out to a second line in the city where people are celebrating. Okay, we have second lines for funerals, for the celebration of, of life when someone passes, and that has a specific purpose. We have second lines for weddings. But these weekly Sunday second lines that we have, really the purpose of them is pure celebration. And I think for a lot of people in New Orleans, it's really an important part of life because things are not easy here. And to get out there and to celebrate and to let all that kind of wash away with the celebration is a big part of the way that people are able to thrive in this city. From Africa via blues, jazz, and country, all the way to auto-tune, how is all of this connected? It's connected very easily because I write what I hear, and I write my music. It ends up being liked by different types, different races, but ever since I stopped, singing just pure R&B, take for instance, when I say pure R&B, I mean people like Johnny Taylor and Eddie Floyd and Clarence Carter. When I wrote a song in those days, I wrote it about love and being out of work and all that type of thing, sneaking around with somebody else's woman or man. And I throw one or two of those type songs in every album that I've done, but I don't dedicate the album to that type of thing. I'm still being very creative. I, I never stop being creative, as you can tell from my records. Uh, I'm always looking for another sound, and I'm always looking for another way to bring across the subject that I'm singing about. They're all connected because they all are me. And if they're not me, I didn't write it, or I don't have any influence over it. I sing songs that I wish I had written. On just about every album I've done, there's at least two songs that came from country artists, blues artists, and as far as African music, there's some African rhythms and so forth, but I don't dwell on as much of the African music and there's no real reason for it other than I don't do it. But I mean, I, I love it.
hit me, can you senti? Cause I'm talking to you, and here's the cue, the bass down, the true essence of a higher echelon, a blues dress music that was born, for people whose only option was to look inside, to find the beauty, and then the light shine for the world to see, the jazz music is what that be, yeah, jazz music is what that be, yeah. I'm into quantum physics using the, uh, the ideas of quantum physics in the jazz now. I'm going from the traditional to a new way of looking at music through that kind of lens. I did a record called Quantum Leap that dealt with one aspect of uh, quantum theory or quantum mechanics. I'm finishing up another that deals with uh, quantum string theory, the ideas that came from Planck into a a musical paradigm. I think it's going to revolutionize the way we think what a musician can do and how a musician thinks of a song. It's going to change. I don't know why people never thought of it before because it's so obvious. I always just say, no matter what I say, the music that I play, it always, for me, I want it to feel good, have the dance element, and to uh, let people know, musicians, follow your heart and spread some love in the world with whatever you're doing, and we'll have a better place for all of us. I think music is an example, especially this kind of thinking with music is an example of what humanity could be if we all influenced each other and respected each other and came up with a new way to uh, live as human beings like that. This was Vasa Music, Mississippi, Part 2, Stories from the Mud, a podcast produced by House de Culturen der Welt. With Big Chief Donald Harrison, Layla McCalla, Logan Schutz, and Jerry Williams Jr., a.k.a. Swamp Dog. Music by Sidney Bechet, Maddie Delaney, Swamp Dog, Donald Harrison, Skip James, Porgy Jones, Kumasi, Layla McCalla, Twins 77, Bessie Smith, and Alan Toussaint. 
quotes were taken from Paul Lawrence Dunbar, Monica Moses Holler, Langston Hughes, and from books by B. Brian Foster, I Don't Like the Blues, Freddie Williams Evans, Congo Square, and Clyde Woods, Development Arrested. Narration by Sarge Lynch. Recording, production, and editing by Yulia Forkefeld. Additional recording by Matthias Hartenberger. And interviews and script by Arno Refiner. <laughs>